Well, good afternoon to all of you. It's an unusual experience to be able to talk to so many people in so many different areas, but uh, so many friends out there that I'd like to say hello to, those in Mississauga and Red Deer and various other places around Canada, the United States, and England, wherever it may be that you are. Uh, welcome to this special Sabbath service, a day of fasting, a day that uh, may be difficult for us in a physical sense, but it is intended to be a very wonderful day in a spiritual sense as we draw close to our Creator. I wanted to mention at the beginning here that Dr. Merrith is at home. He's watching the telecast uh, with his son and perhaps several others there, but he is at home and uh, quite uh, quite sharp mentally and will be uh, taking part in the service by watching it at home. Uh, Mr. Richard Ames is probably over at the school, the Whittington High School, where we have services and several hundred people there. We felt the transmission would go better from this location because of the equipment, because of the limitations at the school there. And so that's the reason we've uh, chosen to do it over here. And your prayers are very much appreciated. Uh, it's, it's kind of interesting when you come in, you find out that some things are not working the way that they're supposed to. We have something called a TriCaster. Uh, we've been uh, told it's uh, on its last leg. And it did quit here just before uh, trying to uh, do this, and yet they got it back up. But it's a bit of a piece of uh, expensive piece of equipment, so we're going to have to replace that one of these days. But your prayers are appreciated. But the other thing it tells me is that there is a God of this world who doesn't like what we're doing. Uh, there was another little glitch I won't go into this morning that uh, caused a little bit of uh, a trauma for me personally, but nevertheless... Uh, we recognize that Satan is out there. He would love to disrupt everything that we're doing. And yet, in the end, God is with us, and He is going to see us through. And in reality, all these things that happen are relatively small. They're relatively meaningless in the long run, because God is with us, and He is going to see this work through to the very end. We're living in very challenging times. Uh, the geopolitical foundations of the past uh, or post-World War II era are coming to an end. Uh, there's a whole new reality in the world that is beginning to take place. The Middle East and North, Af North Africa, but especially the area of Syria, Iraq, and some of those areas is in turmoil. And we see the spillover of that on into Europe and the ramifications it has for Europe and how that affects the political situation of Europe. Uh, we see the Brexit vote that stunned the world. It should not have stunned us because we've always understood that, that England or the Britain would not be a part of that final configuration that uh, God speaks of as the beast power. We recognize that, but I think even those of us in the church sometimes were a little bit shocked that it happened the way it did. I remember being in Brussels the night of the Brexit vote. And at that time, Nigel Farage and Boris Johnson, who were the, the strong proponents for Brexit, uh, were conceding, in essence. They felt that uh, their efforts had come to an end, had failed. Uh, one wonders if uh, someone like Boris Johnson really expected it would fail, hoping it would fail, but be able to gain some prestige by at least attempting that, whereas Nigel Farage was no doubt one who was against Britain being in the European Union from the very beginning. Uh, we have uh, fear that there are others who will exit from the European Union. And we know, those of us who have studied the, uh, the Word of God, those of us who are members of the Church of God, those who have been taught by Mr. Armstrong and by uh, Mr. Meredith and various other ones down through the years, have recognized that the configuration of the European Union today is not going to be that final configuration. It's going to be changed somewhat. North Korea threatens its neighbors testing missiles and nuclear weapons. And just today I, I saw on the news that uh, Mr. Tillerson, uh, our, uh, our uh, secretary, was over there, and not in North Korea, but in that region, and he is saying that it is an imminent threat, that Korea is an imminent threat, words that have significance and meaning and that cause people in diplomatic circles to wake up and wonder, you know, what does all this mean? Uh, there is a problem because North Korea could hit with nuclear weapons our troops 
in that part of the world. And they're certainly looking forward to a weapon that could reach the United States or Europe or any other place in the world. But even more so, if they have these weapons, they can disassemble them, they can bring them into a country on some sort of a, a container ship, whatever it might be, and detonate one. They don't have to have missiles to do that. And the fact that they have missiles and they are so unstable in terms of uh, their leader is something that causes the world to take notice and be concerned about. Japan and other nations are becoming nervous over China and the taking over or building of military facilities on these man-made islands that are over there. The United States is threatening to come apart. I've never seen the United States so divided. And I think we'd almost have to go back to the Civil War to see a time when it was so divided. There have been other times when there have been great divisions in our nation. Uh, the 60s were a time of division, the 70s. And there have been times during the Depression. But we are living in a house that is divided against itself. And in Mark 3, verse 24, it says, If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. That's in Mark 3:24. And then in verse 25, it says, And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And we're looking at a, a nation, and, and frankly, the Western world that is divided not just in a political sense, but it has political overtones or takes on political overtones, but the divisions that we have to a great degree are the result of a moral division or a division over who is in charge of this world. Uh, abortion, same-sex marriage, gender-neutral bathrooms, and also uh, locker rooms in schools. These are issues that are before us. And even the conservative side sometimes talks about, well, we just need to get past this. No, we don't need to get past it. This is a problem. This is a moral breakdown of our society. And it has consequences to it. Not just from, from God, but there, there'd be natural consequences that would come from it. But there is a consequence because our people despise God and His commandments. And there are going to be consequences to that. So how can these things be um, compromised on? We, we, we talk about compromise and sitting down, but abortion, how do you compromise on that? You kill babies or you don't kill babies. Same thing with same-sex marriage, transgender bathrooms and locker rooms. There is no way to compromise. There is no middle ground. It's either or. One wins and the other loses. That's the way it is. And it looks like one is going to win, although it's hard to say because there's pushback still, at least in this country. But one may win for a time, but that side will lose in the long run. And truth in God's way will win in the end. There's another challenge that we face, and that is the change in leadership in the church. And I want to speak very frankly about that just for a minute or two here. Well, actually, a lot of the sermon has to do with that. But we're facing a change in leadership in the church. We have been so thankful that Dr. Meredith stood up at a very critical time in the church's history. A leader who had the gravitas, the, uh, the, the background, and the respect of enough people to stand up and revive the work that was being destroyed that God had used Mr. Armstrong to start or to build up. We're very thankful for that. And for the last quarter century, he has been our leader in a physical sense under Jesus Christ. He has been the presiding evangelist. But as we all know at this time, his health is failing. And his time is coming to an end, as he understands, unless God were to revive him in some way, and he would love to be able to write and do more. He would love that, but he also recognizes that this may be the time, and it probably is, and he is willing to go to sleep and wait for the resurrection. But that has ramifications for you and me, doesn't it? Because for many of our members here, they've never known another presiding evangelist. If you're under 30 years of age, if you may have grown up in the church, but you've really only known Dr. Meredith. And if you've come into the church in the last 25 years, and we have a tremendous number of people who have come into the church during that time, 
you've only known Dr. Meredith. Up in Mississauga, where you're listening in, I would guess that at least 50% or more of the people that are there in the Mississauga congregation have come into the church during the last 25 years or so, many of them during the last 15 years. Much of Canada, it's, it's more than doubled in the population of the church, and most of those people were not a part of worldwide. And we have, we could say the same thing probably for Australia and New Zealand and down in South Africa and various other parts of the world. We could say the same thing. Many new people have come into the church as a result of this work. And we're very thankful for that. And it's very heartening to see that. And all those individuals out there who are saying that the work is finished, that it was finished with Mr. Armstrong, don't know what they're talking about. And they're making a huge mistake by not doing the work of God. And we can be thankful that we have the kind of leadership that we've had to go out and do the work. And it didn't take him very long after he stepped out to begin doing the work. Now, some believe, however that just as with Mr. Armstrong's death, that it's inevitable that the church go into rebellion or apostasy again. I've heard people talk that way. They think that it's just inevitable. They don't see any evidence of it right now, but they just think that it's inevitable. Uh, They know what happened after the death of Mr. Armstrong, and they're fearful that the same thing could happen again. And that's understandable. We understand that fear. But is that biblically and historically true? Has the church always or have God's people always rebelled after the death of a significant leader? We're going to look back on another transition, one of, in many ways, a far greater significance. And we're going to see that positive things can happen and do happen if we trust and obey our Creator. We need to trust in God and we need to obey God. And one really follows the other. When we don't trust God, we don't obey. When we do trust God, that leads to the kind of trust that leads to, to obedience. Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt and through the wilderness for 40 years. Now, that's a long time, 40 years. Historically speaking, it's a short period of time, but in the lives of individuals, it's a long time. And that older generation all died out during the wilderness uh, period, except for, uh, you know, a couple people, Joshua and Caleb. And then we had the ones that were younger than, than 20. Uh, they survived. But for the most part, that whole generation was lost. So the leader that really all those people, even if they had survived it, all of those people only knew of Moses as their leader. And he led them for 40 years plus the time that it took to Bring them out of Egypt. Now, when we go back to the time of the transition, let's notice that in Deuteronomy 31. Deuteronomy 31. And I'll begin in verse 1. It says, Then Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel. And he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I can no longer go out and come in. Also, the Eternal has said to me, you shall not cross over this Jordan. We know that because of a mistake that he made, God showed no favoritism in that way. And as an example, he did not allow Moses to go over into the promised land. The Eternal, your God, verse 3, himself crosses over before you. Now, notice this. This is so important. It's something that we can read right over and not comprehend the significance of it. But this is tremendously significant. It says, The eternal your God Himself crosses over before you. He will destroy these nations from before you, and you shall dispossess them. And then it mentions Joshua Himself crosses over before you, just as the eternal has said. So, this was not a work of man, this is the work of God, that God would lead the way into the promised land. And the Eternal will do to them, these kings there, as he did to Sion and Og, the kings of the Amorites and their land, when he destroyed them. The Eternal will give them over to you, that you may do to them according to every commandment which I have commanded you. 
Then in verse 6, he says, Be strong and of good courage. You know, that's a lesson for us today. We need to be strong. We need to be very courageous. We shouldn't shrink back. We shouldn't pull into a shell and wonder, okay, I wonder what's going to happen. Maybe I'll hide out here for a while. We need to be strong and of good courage, knowing who it is that is leading this work, Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. And either we believe that or we don't. And if we believe that, we know that He will work things out. It says, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. Now, they were afraid of the people that they were going to have to dispossess. Sometimes we fear things that we don't even need to fear that, that aren't even relevant. We just make things up in our own mind that we fear. For the eternal your God, He is the one who goes with you. Notice it is God who is going to go with them. He will not leave you nor forsake you. That was a promise He made. He would not leave them or forsake them. Now, they could leave God, but God was not going to leave them. He says, uh, verse 7, Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of good courage, for you must go with this people to the land which the Eternal has sworn to your father, their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. Then in verse 8, And the Eternal, uh, He is the one who goes before you. He's the one that will be with you. Uh, he will uh, be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. So those are the words that Moses spoke before all the people. And he was very upfront with them. He said that my time is coming to an end. I can no longer come out or go out or come in. And yet God is going to be with you as you move forward. So don't be fearful, but be courageous. Let's skip down to verse 22. He says, Therefore... This is Deuteronomy 31, 22. Therefore, Moses wrote this song the same day, song that, we'll, that uh, we won't take time to read, but you can read in chapter 32. Uh, Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the children of Israel. Then he inaugurated Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, Be strong and of good courage, for you shall bring the children of Israel into the land of which I swore them, and I will be with you. So, he made it very clear that Joshua was to be the one who was to follow. And Dr. Meredith has not left us in a lurch. He has not left us to figure things out. He's made it very clear uh, that there is a succession there. And, you know, Dr. Meredith has been from the very beginning, he has looked to the time recognizing that he would not always be here. He started a council of elders to give counsel uh, to him. And, and to work through certain things. Uh, I remember some years ago at Lake of the Ozarks during the feast, it was uh, probably uh, 90, uh, what was it, uh, 99 or 2000. Uh, he was asking me who I thought uh, should succeed him, knowing that he may not be around forever. He was thinking about that way back then. And I gave him four names of people that I thought were heavyweights on the council, and I certainly wasn't one of them. A couple of them are dead, another left, and, and Mr. Ames is still here. He was a heavyweight then and still is. And we're very thankful for the recovery that, that he's made from his stroke because he walks into the office, and unless you knew otherwise, you, you would think this is the same uh, Mr. Ames that we've always known. And it's very encouraging to see that. But he does have, you know, some issues there that uh, need to be uh, looked into, and so your prayers are certainly appreciated on his behalf. I know he appreciates that. And by the way, I, I would like to just add here, too, that I appreciate all the cards and letters that we've received, my wife and I, and I know that Dr. Meredith appreciates the cards he receives. He sits down and he reads them, and he doesn't just look at the card, but he reads each of the the uh, notes that's put in there, at least that's what the family has told me. He'll sit down there and, and uh, read all those and, and appreciates them and is very much encouraged by them. And we're very thankful for all those things. We don't have the ability to always write back and thank you for sending a card or a note, whatever it might be, but thank you uh, nevertheless. It is, it's very important to us and we thank you for it and we're not encouraging more. We're just, I'm just saying that the ones that we've received we're very, very thankful for and uh, appreciate that. But here we, we see that uh, Joshua had been chosen there, and Dr. Meredith has prepared for uh, the time after he is gone. Uh, 
so that he can sleep and, and the work will carry on. That's what he wants is the work to carry on. And that's what I want. And that's what everybody here at headquarters wants. And we plan on continuing the work that God started long time ago through Jesus Christ and the apostles and on down through history, down through our time today. And there have been times when things have not gone so well, but the church has always remained one way or the other. And when a particular group of people get off track, it becomes clear to all, and God provides a place for people to go, the faithful people to go. And there have always been faithful people of God down through history. And God will take care of us if we are faithful to Him, if we trust and obey Him. We don't have to worry about it. I might just give you a story here. Uh, some years ago, uh, back in about 1974, I was hearing a lot of rumors about problems in the church. And we did go through a very difficult time. A lot of you weren't around back in 1974, but there was a particular problem that, that had arisen in the church, a, a rebellion that took place, the largest rebellion that we really had, about 3,000 members and I think about 30 ministers left and they went off on their own. And there was a, a, a ministerial assistant that had a lot of information he was tied into the rumor mill. He, he knew what the grapevine was saying. And every time we'd get together, he'd give us all this news and everything like that. And, and I, I finally had to realize that God is not going to show us His truth through rumor. It does not depend on me or anybody else knowing what is going on someplace else in the world. Because I thought about it this way. What about Widow Jones? I don't know if her name was Jones, but I'm just as an example. We had widows that were scattered all over Louisiana where I was at the time. And I thought, okay, what are they going to do if the truth is going to come through some rumor? They're not tied into that rumor mill. How is God going to preserve them? And I realized that if they're obeying God, if they're trusting God, if they're looking to Jesus Christ as the head of the church, they don't have to find some special rumor mill in order to find the truth. That's not how God works. God does not work through innuendo, through rumors, through bad-mouthing and writing of, of all kinds of people out there. That's not how God works. And we need to understand that and not trust in that sort of thing because all it can do is take us astray. Anyway, uh, getting back here to verse 24, so it was when Moses completed writing the words of this law in a book, when they were finished, that Moses commanded the Levites who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, saying, Take this book of the law and put it beside the Ark. Verse 27, For you know uh, your rebellion and your stiff neck. Uh, if today, while I am yet alive with you, you have re uh, been rebellious against the Eternal, then how much more after my death? Now, I, I could have stopped reading before we got here, but this is very important. He says, Gather to me all the elders, verse 28, of your tribes and your officers, that I may speak these words in their hearing and call heaven and earth to witness against them. For I know, verse 29, that, ye, that after my death you will become utterly corrupt and turn aside from the way which I have commanded you, and evil will befall you in the latter days. Now, he's talking to the nation of Israel. And the sense was that after his death, that Israel would go astray. And they eventually did go astray. But let's see the whole story here before we draw conclusions. But we also know that in the latter days, the children of Israel will go astray. And we see that in spades right before our very eyes as our people go more and more into perversion of every imaginable form. But he says, "...because you will do evil in the sight of the Eternal to provoke Him to anger through the work of your hands." Then Moses spoke in the hearing of the assembly of Israel the words of this song until they were ended. So he makes this statement that after his death, he knew that they would turn and they would become utterly corrupt. But what happened? What happened? Let's look at this very carefully. Uh, let's go to the book of Joshua. Or let's, before we go to Joshua, let's go to chapter 32, verse 44. 
It says, So Moses came with Joshua, the son of Nun, and spoke all the words of this song in the hearing of the people. And Moses finished speaking all these words to all Israel. And he said to them, Set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to be careful to observe all the words of this law. Now, brethren, we, we understand the law of God. And we understand the necessity of keeping it. Those people who left some years ago after the death of Mr. Armstrong forsook the law of God. But a lot of people didn't. I say a lot of people. A lot, it's all relative. But there were thousands of people who stayed true to the truth. And he says here, For it is not a futile thing for you, because it is your life. And by this word you shall prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. Then the Eternal, verse 48, spoke to Moses that very same day, saying, Go up this mountain of the uh, Abraham, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab. So he told him to go up, and he could look at the promised land there. But he was to go up and to die in the mountain. That's what God told him to do. So let's pick up the story, the picture of this all and the book of Joshua, the first chapter, and see where we go from here. Because the transition is being made. It says in chapter 1, verse 1, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Eternal, it came to pass that the Eternal spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now that must have been a horrendously painful experience for the people then just as it's always a painful experience when we lose a friend, a relative, a leader, a one that we've known for a long time. He says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan. He's dead. They had a time of mourning. He said, get up and go over the Jordan. Get to work. You and all this people, to the land which I am giving them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and of the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be also, or so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. You see, it is God that is doing the work. It's not a man. It's not me. It's not Dr. Meredith. It's not Mr. Armstrong. God used Mr. Armstrong. He used Dr. Meredith. He'll use me if that is what's going to happen here. We don't know. I could die tonight. But if that's what's to happen or whoever it's going to be, uh, it is God that is with us. It is God that is giving us the strength is doing the work through us. And so he says, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. That's a promise that God has made to His people. And we need to understand that that's a promise. He says, Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide and inherit an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Notice that the being strong wasn't just to fight against the enemy, but it was to be strong and very courageous, what? To do all the, the, the law, or to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. Now, if we turn away from that, then we're in trouble. But I certainly have no intention of that. And I don't think you do either. I think that we are here because we know why we're here and we know what it is that needs to be done. He says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. It is by obedience to God Trust in God, faith in God, looking to God, accepting God's mercy, His grace. All of that put together, that is what is going to bring us success. 
and putting forth our whole heart in doing the work. He says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage? Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the eternal your God is with you wherever you go. He's going to be with us. We don't know exactly what's going to happen in the years ahead. We, we know the, the end result of it all. But we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen six months from now. I think what we can say is that we are in for a rough ride. And if anybody is here for an easy time, you're in the wrong place. Because we will continue to teach the truth of God and will do so as powerfully as we're able to do so. And of course, being wise as serpents and harmless as doves, but we're not going to hide in a corner someplace and avoid the truth so we can stay out of trouble. We know we're going to be in trouble someplace down the road. And I hope that all of you understand that because that's, that's our lot. You know, when you read what Jesus told his disciples, the world doesn't, is not going to love us. And we're going to be contrary to the world. He says, I have, not, have I not commanded you, be strong of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the eternal your God is with you wherever you go. I, I'm always intrigued by the uh, book of Jeremiah. He says that they're going to be fighting against you and, and they're going to uh, you know, it, uh, reject you and, and all that sort of thing. But, but that's okay. I've made your, your forehead harder than theirs. And uh, I don't think that Jeremiah had any idea just how bad it was going to get. Well, we know he didn't because uh, God had to reveal to them that even his family was against him. His family was trying to create problems for him and, and wanted to kill him. And so that's, that's a lot of God's people down through time. Read the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Well, there were those that God worked out miracles for in a positive way, but it also says... Some were sawn asunder. They were stoned. They lived in caves and in the, the rocks and the hills, uh, among the rocks and the hills. It was a difficult time for them. And we've had a wonderful go of it uh, the last, you know, 50 years or so. But it's not always going to be so easy for the people of God. It is going to be difficult. So what did Joshua do? Well, we read verse 10, Joshua commanded the officers of the people saying, pass through the camp and command the people saying, prepare provisions for yourselves for within three days you will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the eternal year God is giving you to possess. In other words, he got up and he did the work. The work that he was called to do. It was a different work than our work, but he got up and he did the work. Now, let's fast forward a number of years to the end of the book to the end of the book of Joshua. And we'll go to 20, chapter 23 and pick it up in verse uh, 14. He says, Behold this day, I am going the way of all the earth. So now Joshua comes to the end of his life, going the way of all the earth. That meant he was going to die. He understood that. He says, And you know in all your hearts, and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the eternal your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. So during all these years, God was with them and He worked with them. They, it wasn't perfect. We know that. They made mistakes and they suffered some consequences for it. But overall, they stayed with God. Therefore, verse 15, it shall come to pass that as all the good things have come upon you, which the eternal your God promised you, so the eternal will bring upon you all harmful things until he has destroyed you from this good land, which the eternal your God has given you. When you have transgressed the covenant of the eternal your God, which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods and bowed down to them, then the anger of the eternal will burn against you. And you shall perish quickly from the good land which he has given you. So Joshua also understood that the time would come when people would forsake the, the laws that God had given to them through Moses, when they would forsake God, when they would turn away from God. He understood that. 
He gathered all the tribes of Israel together and he spoke to them and he gave them strong warnings concerning these matters. And then in chapter 24, verse 29, it says, It came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Eternal, died, being 110 years old. So it was a long run for Joshua, and he was faithful all the years in the wilderness under Moses and all the years during the conquest of the land. It was a long time there. And it says, They buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath-Sirah, which is in the mountains of Ephraim on the north of the side of Mount Gesh. And then verse 31, notice this, it says, Israel served the Eternal all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. So after Moses, the children of Israel remained faithful overall under Joshua. And even after Joshua died, there were elders. We don't know all of the, the name, their names, but it says that they remained faithful uh, all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had known all the works of the Eternal which he had done for Israel. So it is not inevitable that when a leader dies that the church has to go off track. These were carnal people, carnal Israelites. They went off track. There were too many carnal people that got into the worldwide church of God. As one man one time said publicly, he said, I I never studied the Bible. And it didn't surprise me why he stayed where he was. He didn't study. There was something wrong. But if we study God's Word, if we pray to God, if we fast as we're doing today, not just when the church calls for a fast, not just during the Day of Atonement, and understanding that there are people with different health issues, and we understand that there may be certain issues where people cannot as well or as long. But that's something you can discuss with your minister if you need to. But uh, nevertheless, uh, if we do our part, God's going to be with us. He's not going to forsake us. He doesn't just go off when the leader dies. He doesn't just go off someplace. He is still with us because it is the church of God. It is not the church of any man. And while there are leaders who are stronger, uh, who, who, who maybe have more energy and, and that sort of thing, it doesn't mean that just because one dies that, that another one has to take the church in the wrong direction. I, I totally reject that. I've rejected that for years. Long before anybody said that, that I would be in the position that I'm in, I just have rejected that idea. We do not have to go astray. Now, it is a choice. You as an individual can, and if enough individuals do, then that's a problem. But it doesn't mean that the leader will just automatically take people in a wrong direction. We know that there's a tendency to backslide. I'm using kind of a southern religious term, backslide. But we know there is that tendency. We see it all through the Bible. The next book, the book of Judges, we see it that a strong leader rises up and rescues the people and then they, if I could use that term, backslide. Forgive me if I use that rather Protestant sounding uh, term, but uh, to go back. We know that. We know that it's, it's typical for individuals that many individuals who start this way of life don't finish. It's, it's shocking how many people start this way and fall away. But always there are those who are faithful. Some of you sitting out there have been faithful for 40 and 50 years or more. You you may be confined to a wheelchair or confined to bed or you may uh, not be able to drive to services every week. But you've been faithful. You've been loyal. And we honor you for that loyalty over long periods of time. We We commend you for that. And it shows that there are people who will stay with it and not backslide. But whether it's individuals, nations such as Israel, or the church, uh, backsliding does not have to happen. It is a choice that we make. No one in the LCG should ever try to compare Moses and Joshua to Dr. Meredith or me, because I'm using this example. I don't want anybody to ever think that we're saying that 
you know, there are churches out there that, that claim, or leaders out there, that they're Joshua of this uh, this stripe, uh, not not necessarily this Joshua, but another Joshua, and then others think that they're one of the two witnesses, and they, they put all kinds of names and, and all sorts of things. That's not the point of all this. I'm just simply talking about a transition that took place. And there are lessons that we can learn from it. There are parallels of actions and expectations from which we can learn. Joshua and Caleb were trusted individuals. They trusted God and they obeyed God. Let's go back to Numbers 13 because Caleb was one of those leaders, but specifically we're looking at Joshua at this point in time. But in Numbers 13, we're all very familiar with this. We read it usually around the time of unleavened bread. And so I'm not going to go into great length on this. I'm just going to introduce a little bit here. In chapter 13, verse 1, the Eternal spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, uh, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. So there were these uh, leaders of each of the tribes that were sent out. And among them were Joshua and Caleb. And when they came back, they, they had glowing reports of the land. It was, truly was what had been described, a land flowing with milk and honey. And even to this day, you see in Israel and elsewhere, uh, two men walking, uh, little statues or figurines, with two men walking with a pole between them with a cluster of grapes that's hanging almost down to the ground. It, it must have been... Uh, very interesting. That might have been a slight exaggeration in terms of the, the size of the cluster of grapes, but it was a, a land that was uh, very uh, prosperous in every way, uh, agriculturally. And so they came back and they said that it was that way. But then they complained and they said uh, in verse 29, the Malachites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And, and they said that... Uh, uh, verse 31, the men who had gone up with, with him said, We're not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And so they gave this bad report. And the end result was that the children of Israel uh, were very much upset at that. Uh, chapter 14, verse 1, All the congregation lifted up their voices, and they cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. Now this is the time just before they're going to go into the wilderness for 40 years. This is the, the incident that brings that about. So they wanted to elect a different leader and return to Egypt. Verse 5, Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Eternal delights in us, then He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Eternal, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. We will eat them for lunch, so to speak. Not literally, but uh, they're our bread. We'll eat them for lunch. Their protection has departed from them, and the Eternal is with us. Do not fear them. Now, what was the result of all this? Verse 10, And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. They were ready to stone Joshua and Caleb, Moses and Aaron. That's how bad it got. But these individuals stood strong. And that's why later on, Joshua led the people into the promised land. That's why, because there were other individuals that maybe were younger, that did not die in the wilderness, but had seen all those works, they then carried on after Joshua was gone. We don't know how many years, but it says as long as those elders were alive who had seen those things, that the people stayed on track. They eventually did get off track. But it is not inevitable that the church has to go off track, certainly the church, if we have God's Spirit, uh, just because there is a change of leader.
Israel did not trust that God was among them. And it is interesting that this is referred to in later scriptures, uh, a particular incident that took place at the very beginning because it really set the stage for everything that was to follow. We read of that in Exodus, the 17th chapter. I think that, well, I know that I used to think that, well, God was, was merciful to these people at that time because they were just coming out of Egypt and they hadn't, I mean, they'd seen all those those miracles, but that God got more and more angry with them as time went by, and I, I guess that's that's partly true. But but there's enough reference in other passages, First uh, Corinthians, the the tenth chapter, and, and elsewhere, to this particular incident that it, it helps you to realize that there's something important about this passage. So let's notice it in Exodus 17, verse one. Then all the children of the uh, congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Eternal. Now this is, you know, after uh, uh, the, the Red Sea incident, uh, after God had protected them, and now they're setting out. They're, they're not even at the at Mount Sinai yet. Uh, this is in between that time. So they're setting out on their journey, uh, but there was no water for the people to drink. Now, I think that we can understand that when you're running out of water supply, it, it gets pretty desperate, doesn't it? Uh, which reminds me of something I meant to mention. In fact, I wrote a note and then I didn't bring it I, uh, with me. forgot it. But we have a member down in Peru who lost her home through this flooding. And uh, the last, uh, last note I saw was that she was up in a house with about 30 other people and food was running out, she and her two daughters. Uh, there's tremendous flooding. It's been on the news that down there in Peru, and a lot of homes have been lost. Uh, over 60 lives lost, last I heard. But here was a member who lost her home, and and uh, the church is going to no doubt uh, give her some some help there. But uh, something to pray about. I hope we will remember. That's that's one of our, our members. That's a, a woman, uh, as far as we know. I don't know her, but I'm sure that uh, she has, has God's spirit and. God is working with her, and and she uh, uh, has suffered a loss in that way. And, and we need to cry out to God to be with her and to help her through this crisis. So anyway, getting back here, um, uh, they, they they were without water. And so he said, give us water that we may drink. And Moses said, why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the eternal? They, they weren't just saying, I need a drink of water. They were arguing, they were contending, they were bickering with Moses and condemning him. And the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Eternal, saying, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. They, they always seem to be ready to pick up stones and start throwing them. And the Eternal said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. And behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb. And you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Notice verse 7. So he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Eternal, notice this, saying, Is the Eternal among us or not? Is the Eternal among us or not? They questioned whether God was with them. After all that had happened, they still questioned God. And if there's one lesson that I think that many of us have learned is that miracles do not last in the minds of people. Someone can have an absolute miracle occur with them, and they can fall away. Some of the people that Dr. Meredith has mentioned over the years that were healed miraculously, and I'm a little bit familiar with some of them, as far as I know, most of them have fallen away. And yet, the fact that there was a clear intervention by God. No other way to explain it. 
did not save them in the long run. Something was fundamentally flawed at some point in time, whether they just began to drift or whether there was something flawed earlier on. We don't know. We're not their judge. But uh, people, people do fall away in that way. Is God among us? When you go over to Hebrews, the third chapter, Hebrews 3, you see the problem of the children of Israel that they simply did not believe. Verse 16, Hebrews 3:16. It says, "For who, having heard, rebelled, indeed was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So on the surface, the problem was obedience. But what was behind the problem? What caused the problem whereby they didn't obey? The next verse tells us, verse 19. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. They, they could not accept that God was with them. Just like some people have a difficult time understanding that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. That He's going to work things out according to His will. You know, Jesus Christ allowed what happened in worldwide because there had to be a sifting between those who were serving Him and those who were not. There were people who were keeping Christmas on the sly. Learned that afterward. I heard of an elder that, that was, he and his family kept Christmas, but they just kept it quietly. There were people who were involved in all kinds of immoral behavior. And I suppose that many of them just simply didn't have that close relationship with their Creator. They weren't taking time to feed on Jesus Christ. They weren't taking time each day to pray and to study the Word of God and occasionally fast. Now, I know that when I look at my whole life, there have been times when I haven't studied as much as I should have. I learned very early on I should pray, uh, and I, I, you know, very few days in my life that I haven't prayed formally on my knees in one way or another. That you get into situations where you don't have the privacy, but those have been very few and far between. But I know in the early years I didn't take the time to study, and when I realized that I've got a one-way conversation, I'm carrying on a monologue with God. I'm talking to God, but I'm not letting Him talk back to me. And I need this Word for Him to talk to me. This is important. He wants us to talk to Him, but He also wants us to study His Word, to know what He's saying. And all of us from time to time drift a little bit. We don't always realize it. Sometimes we do. We realize our prayer life is not very good. Maybe we're on our knees for the same length of time, but our mind is wandering, it's going off someplace. And that's why we need these days of fasting. We need to kind of step back and we need to build up the tank again, so to speak. And we need to draw close to God. And sometimes we get a little bit too big for our britches. And God can bring us down, or we can humble ourselves through fasting, and hopefully He won't have to bring us down but God loves us and he's going to work things out for us but we have to do our part so we see here that they could not enter in because of unbelief we've got to believe and the only way we're going to have strong belief strong faith is if we're close to God in the 11th chapter of Hebrews this may be a memorization verse for you but it says without faith it is impossible to please him it's impossible to please God without faith. It takes faith to keep the Sabbath. It takes faith to keep the holy days. It takes faith to tithe. It takes faith to step out when those around you are trying to get you to go a different direction. It takes faith to know that this is the right course, that this will always work out. As one person one time described it, God gave us the Ten Commandments to show us that there's some things that are always right 
and some things that are always wrong. Because there are times in a person's life when it might seem like it's okay to bear false witness or to steal or to commit adultery or to dishonor one's parents because they haven't been very honorable. But God shows us that these are actions that we we should, if it's a positive one, honor your mother and father. That's an action we should always take. And there are other things that it's always wrong to do, no matter how good it seems at the time. So without faith, it's impossible to please Him. And the way that we build faith is by being close to God because it's the faith of Jesus Christ in us. Galatians 2.20 It's the faith of Christ in us. He must live His life in us. Well, let's just turn over there again. I... Sometimes I have a hard time quoting scriptures and I can botch them, so I'll just turn over there. But Galatians 2.20, I, I think we should be able to quote it by heart by now. But, you know, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. My past life is, is dead. I, I, I've killed the old man. I've been crucified with Christ. Uh, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Christ must live His life in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith as it should be. The old King James has it right. The faith of the Son of God. In other words, Jesus Christ's faith in us who loved me and gave Himself for me. And so it's important that we draw near to God in prayer and study and occasional fasting. We, we don't like to fast. I know I don't, but... I know that by the time I get toward the end of the fast, I'm so thankful that I did. And, and I'm, I'm so appreciative of that fact. Not just because it's over, but because of the fruit that I can see or the, the benefit that I can see. Somehow toward the end of the fast, I can talk to God in a way that I couldn't before, even though you know, in the middle of the afternoon I'm sleepy and tired and sometimes have to take a nap and and so forth, but at a certain point you realize that you're making a breakthrough. And it carries you for a period of time, and then you have to fast again. Israel, as we've seen, did not trust God. But we're told that God will always be with us if we trust in Him. We read that in Deuteronomy 31 and verses 6 and 8. He said, well, let's just review that real quick. Deuteronomy 31. In verse 6, he says, be strong and good, I'm sorry, be strong, yeah, strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them for the eternal your God. He is the one who is with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. That's a promise. He will not leave us or forsake us. If we're doing our part, we can know that He won't leave us or forsake us. And then in verse 8, He says in the eternal, He is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Now that promise I know was made to them, but it's a principle that we can draw from it. In fact, He says it to Joshua directly over in Joshua again, the first chapter. Verse 5, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. And you know, that's quoted over in Hebrews. Let's turn over to Hebrews, the 13th chapter. So we see that this is brought forward to the, the, the New Testament, as we call it. And we'll see it there. Now let's, let's start actually reading in verse 1 because I want to pick up some of the context here. Hebrews 13, verse 1. He says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers. These are all principles that we should think about constantly. These are things we should study and make a part of our lives. For by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. He says of marriage that it's honorable among all and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers God will judge. These are not small things. The world 
can vote all at once, but it doesn't outvote God. He says, verse 5, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, and this is the principle that's being brought forth, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the eternal or the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. So here we see that God is with us. He is not going to forsake us. And as it says in verse 8, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now one way that we can uh, grow in the Holy Spirit, or grow uh, in faith, in confidence, trust, and obedience, is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And notice what John told his disciples when there was that transition. He was no longer going to be with them. Within a matter of hours, he would be gone. And so in John, the 14th chapter, in verse 15, he says, If you love me, keep my commandments. So that's the first part of it. And then he says, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. Now the word there is parakletos, and, and it means a comforter. But helper is a, is a great word too, isn't it? A helper or comfort. It, it's, it's a wonderful word that we have here. A wonderful description of the Holy Spirit. That he may abide with you forever. He will be with us forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him, nor knows him, him, it, uh, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. God's Spirit in us. You know, I, I look back on the difficult time after Mr. Armstrong died, and, and I'm so thankful that God preserved me in his truth. Because I saw a lot of my friends going a wrong direction. And I wasn't always the, the strongest person in the world. I can look back and say, well, there were times when I wasn't doing everything I should be doing. I wasn't just, you know, running around out in the world, but nevertheless, I wasn't as strong spiritual as I could have been. But I believe that because there was a certain amount that I was doing that was right, close to God, that He preserved me by His grace, by His mercy. But nevertheless, He did preserve me in that. And God will preserve all of us in the, the times ahead. If we do our part, if we are strong, if we are courageous, if we trust and obey God. And so it says here in verse 17, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. And then in verse 18, I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. He's not going to leave us out here as though the church is just gone. I, I remember some people that have come back to the church and because their particular congregation just kind of fell apart, they thought that it was all gone. And yet, Scripture tells us that he, it's not going to be gone. I will build my church and the gates of the grave will not prevail against it. There's always going to be the church of God. And... I think that we, we need to have that confidence and that faith to know that, that Jesus Christ is the head of the church and He will guide us. We're fasting today to humble ourselves. In James, the fourth chapter, it talks about humility and humbling ourselves. And that's a scripture that would be good to read today. Well, let me just turn over there just briefly. I want to close here quickly, but uh, let's just notice there in James, the fourth chapter, it's interesting, verse 4, he says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that the friendship with the world is enmity with God? We can't have one foot in the world and one foot with God. It's going to be one way or the other. And yet, too many people try to split the difference there. He says, Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? Now, that particular verse is a very difficult verse to understand because there are several different ways it could be understood. But the, the, the clear statement from verses 4 and 5 is this. There's God's way and there's the world's way. And you, you cannot 
combine the two. It's one way or the other. So we have to trust and obey God. Trust in God that what He says is true and what He says is right. But He gives more grace. Therefore, He says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's a promise there. If we resist the devil, if we submit to God, then the devil will flee from us. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. So we fast today to draw closer and develop our relationship with our Creator. Because we know that He is the source of our strengths. We have to know that, that He is the source of our strength. Let's notice a few promises here very quickly in Romans 8. Consider some of these promises. Romans, the 8th chapter, and verse 28. These are memorization scriptures. He says, We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. So we have to love God and we have to be those who are called according to His purpose. But we know that all things work together for good to those in that category. Then verse 31 What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You know, we face some challenging times ahead, some very challenging times against the world. And I'm sure that Satan is going to throw everything he can at us. But we can be, we can overcome Satan if we're close to God. Frankly, some of those times are going to be frightening. I'm sure we're going to be frightened a lot in the future. But one thing we can know for sure, it will all work out well in the end if we trust and obey our Creator. 